my name is Randy Givens. I'm the head of Maritime Shipping Equity Research at Jefferies. So on today's star-studded panel, we have four of the top executives in uh, one of the most exciting industries worldwide, and that's refined products tankers. So on the panel today, we have Kim Ullman, CEO of Concordia Maritime, followed by Carlos Balestra de Matola, CFO of D'Amico International Shipping, Jacob Meldegard, CEO of Torm, and David Morant, Managing Director of Scorpio Tankers. So we'll start the panel with a little background, then we'll get into some of the supply demand fundamentals, um, look at each of the companies up here, their fleets, and then talk about a topic that is, is pretty popular now with IMO 2020. So before we discuss kind of the outlook, uh, I thought it'd be useful to look back over the past year. We saw basically rates hitting multi-year lows in the summer of 2018. You had a very strong recovery in the fourth quarter of 2018. Rates started the year uh, near those levels, and then in the past eight months, pretty much sold off from January through August. So, Kim, uh, starting with you, what were some of those specific reasons for the incredible rate rally in the fourth quarter of 18, and then the subsequent sell-off in the past nine months? Uh, thank you for that. That's, that's an easy question to answer, actually, because it was pretty obvious. Um, in uh, fourth quarter of 2018, we had OPEC open up the taps, and that's as simple as it gets. And they thought that the Iranians was go were going to be um, sanctioned even more, uh, but they weren't. So we had a lot of oil to be shipped, and that's the whole difference. And that's the thing, we need more oil on, on, the, on the water to, to be shipped. So that was the reason for the, for the upturn in, in, in Q4 2018. Sure. And the reverse happened in Q2, 3 of this year. You know, OPEC said that, okay, that's a little too much oil on the waters, and the inventories are not really coming down, and uh, the prices are not really going up, so um, so let's cut back again. And they did. And the refineries started to cut in their, their, their production too. So less oil, less less demand from the refineries, and, and the market is, is, is much lower. Good. Fair. Uh, now, rates have started to, to come off these levels in the past, let's call it a few weeks here. LRs are above 20,000 a day. MRs, close to 11,000 a day. So, I guess two questions there. First to Jacob, what demand drivers have pushed up rates here in the past month or two? For LRs? LRs, mostly correct. Seems as if it is on here. Okay. Yeah, so uh, I would say the bottom of the market in this sort of uh, period has probably been around July. And we've, as you point to, we've uh, enjoyed a reasonable uptick in rates generally, especially on the larger vessels, on the LRs, more activity. The NAFTA trade out of the AG has recovered. I think principally the way we look at this is that refinery maintenance was stronger in the first half of this year than what seasonality would uh, predict. So worldwide, refiners were 20% uh, uh, more in maintenance here in the first half, and they were doing it for longer, clearly in preparation for the IMO 2020 on 1st of January. So yes, we've had uh, slow demand here in the first half, I think we are already starting to see that that will be then uh, well recovered and the uh, owners will be rewarded here in the second half for uh, the lower uh, demand picture we saw in the first half. 
Okay? And then second, what is causing the, the massive kind of divergence with LR2s uh, to David, knowing that Scorpio tankers operates both LR2s and MRs? Um, historically, the relationship is maybe 30 to 50% LR2s over MRs. Right now, it's more than double. Um, so what has caused that? I'm just checking this is working. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's an interesting dichotomy. You're right. I, I think the, the prompt market at the moment is a little bit dysfunctional. I think you're seeing that uh, in terms of both that spread you reference. I think we take some heart from the period market where you can see that you know, MRs uh, for, for period business are certainly looking in the high teens. You've got LR2s, um, LR1s rather at 22, 23. LR2s, you've seen 25 last done. So I think in some ways there's a bit of volatility in the front in the prompt market that maybe the, the term market would suggest is going to unwind. Um, the other thing I'd say is it's a little bit of an east-west split. I mean, Jacob mentioned earlier the, the, the Napthorab that's opened back up. We're certainly seeing the LRTs pretty good from the AG into the east. Uh, and in the west, it's kind of waiting for winter a little bit, a little bit of an overhang probably from uh, refineries coming back online from the prolonged outages. Um, I don't think it's anything that would give us huge cause for concern. I think we're very pleased with the way the LRT market's progressing, and we'd expect to see a little bit of, little bit of strength coming back into the MRs. Well, I just like to say I've never seen a room empty as quickly as that since Randy appeared with a sponsorship form for his decathlon. So that was pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, focusing on demand drivers, you know, clearly rate volatility, volatility uh, this year has been tied to kind of the varying levels of demand. So a few questions there. Refinery throughput capacity uh, fell dramatically in 2Q19 down to around 80 million barrels a day. The IEA expects it to ramp up by 3 million barrels a day in, in this quarter. So, Carlos, how are you seeing signs of this rebound in refinery capacity, and if so, in what regions? No, no, we, we are seeing it. Uh, we are seeing the, the growth. I mean, we were, we were very, it was very impressive to see that in May this year, actually, we had refining throughput, which was below uh, May last year. So that, that is really exceptional. And uh, I think that uh, is a testament to the, how deep this refinery maintenance program uh, was, uh, was, uh, was happening at the time. Uh, and uh, we believe that it was in preparation to IMO, IMO 2020 so that the refinery maintenance program in this autumn should be uh, much shorter. Uh, and. Uh, we, we, we have seen uh, throughput rise. We haven't seen the benefits, especially on the MRs, which are our core vessels yet, as we were mentioning uh, just now. Uh, but there is uh, some uh, positive impact already on, on the larger vessels. Uh, and it is normal that usually the, the larger vessels should move first. And in a rising market, they, they do tend to outperform. Uh, but also, as mentioned already, on, on the period rates, uh, the story is slightly different, and uh, the, the rate's actually quite firm also for MRs, not only for the LRs. Okay. Uh, another key driver of demand is inventory levels. You know, in 2015 and 16, inventory levels were low, and every country was stocking those inventories. Rates were great. 2017 and 18, inventory destocking occurred. Rates were terrible. So, Kim, where are inventory levels today? Are countries building or um, reducing inventories? That's an interesting question. We're following it very, very closely because it's, it's such a vital part of the tanker transportation. And correctly, as you said, 15, 16, we're, 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 everybody stocked up and uh, we were having great times. Then we did see it reversing and did reverse. And right now, with the um, OPEC cuts, uh, it is declining. It is going down. 
That's, that's the main thing. It is going down. It's been a little bit uh, strange and puzzled over, the, over the, the spring because in some areas we've actually seen it going up and that, that puzzled us quite a bit. But that is because of the uh, ref refinery maintenance. So now when things are coming together, uh, US is now having whatever seventh or eighth week in a row with, with declining stocks. And uh, Europe is having the same, Far East is having the same, OECD in general, it, they are on their way down. And that's very important to follow because that's the whole thing. Why we think, or why I think the market is going to turn in Q4 is that that oil is partially or fully going to come back up again yeah. with lower uh, inventories. Sure. Jacob, have you seen any specific demand impacts from IMO 2020 yet? I think that would be a hard sell to, uh, to, to bring that on uh, yet. I think what we're seeing is that actually uh, some of the bunker suppliers worldwide are not yet coming to grips with what product is it that they are going to have as their inventory. So that I would actually think that we are seeing a little less trade than what is normal. You've seen uh, sporadic, uh, uh, too little fuel oil in certain areas of the world right now compared to what is needed uh, from, uh, from the vessel owners. And I think the market just needs to find itself. But I see a lot of potential in the disruption that the 1st of January will, uh, will create. I think we all, ship, as ship owners, are pretty well prepared, but I think that uh, the whole system will uh, have some forces to it that we can't really predict yet. And I think that will be beneficial. Sure. Yeah, I'd like to add something to that. I mean, uh, I agree. And uh, actually, I think that what we are seeing now is actually potentially a negative impact from IMO 2020 that is going to revert later. Because what is happening is that in certain ports, we are seeing that uh, suppliers are running down their high fuel, high sulfur fuel oil stocks uh, so that they can then uh, prepare the logistics to receive the low sulfur fuel oil. Uh, and therefore, we are not seeing the incremental demand from the very low sulfur fuel oil yet being transported, but we are seeing less high sulfur fuel oil being transported. And that's why also in some ports, we are now have a very weird phenomenon where we have very high prices for high sulfur fuel oil. And there's very big differences in prices for high sulfur fuel oil in different ports. So this is going to revert eventually. Okay. Over to David with the LRs. How has the LR trade been impacted by the naphtha cracker maintenance? Well, it, it certainly has an impact. Obviously, I, I'm sure it's well known in this room, the sort of propane, butane, naphtha, ARB, and how that affects AG yeast. Um, it's been nice to see that come in a little bit. Um, the, the cheap price of gas obviously is the main competitor to our feedstock there. I think, again, just echoing on your question, if you don't mind going back to the inventory question, I think that at the moment you see a lot of backwardation. You see it in crude, you see it in the product uh, spreads as well and, and the term. And it's quite difficult, therefore, to justify rebuilding inventories if you are a, an owner or a, uh, or a trader. So I think as and when we see the, quirk, the curve normalize, I think you'll see you know, the first impact being that inventories are not being drawn. I think the next impact will be seeing inventories actually start to accumulate. And uh, that's as much a financial equation for people as it is, uh, as it is uh, a physical equation. But sorry, back to your question. It certainly uh, has helped <coughs> us on AG East. We're very pleased, as I mentioned before, with the way those LR2s are uh, are behaving. We think there's more to go, um, and it, it certainly justified you know, the investments we've made in that space and growing our presence there. Um, we're also pleased with some of the way those vessels are triangulating around Asia, which is a, is a relatively new phenomenon for us. 
Um, and again, if, if people in this room recall, if you go back 24 months ago, that was the big concern. It was a one route ballast back type of uh, trade. And we're starting to see a little bit of that uh, come out as the, the large arbitrage NAPTA ROG kind of comes to play. So yeah, we're reasonably pleased with it so far. Okay. Switching gears to tanker supply and your respective fleets, um, Kim, Carlos, both Concordia and D'Amico's fleet is primarily focused on MRs um, with limited exposure, exposure to the LRs. So why are you choosing to focus on the kind of smaller asset class of MRs? Kim or Carlos? Go Left or right? Yes, you first. How about that? Mm -hmm. Well, we were in the BLTC, ULTC market for in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So we, we swapped. We were close to, to a big oil company that had a lot of products, and uh, so, so we dedicated the fleet around that, those cargo flows, so to speak. And we've been kept on doing that ever since, and um, build up you know, portfolios with seaways and, and, and cargo flows and differentials in, in cargo types and sizes and so on. So uh, we've just simply been focusing on that for the last uh, 10, 15 years. And, you know, I think that, that's a good thing to do, too, to, to stay focused. Specialize, sure. Carlos? Yeah, no, for us, it's, uh, I mean, historically, it has been the sector we have focused on. Uh, it is uh, the most flexible type of vessel. It is the vessel preferred by traders. It can go almost everywhere. And it's big enough to have uh, good, decent economies of scale also on longer voyages. Uh, nonetheless, yeah, we, we realize that, you know, the, the, the trades are, are changing and to the benefit of the product tanker sector as a whole and uh, we expect longer trades uh, uh, on average 86% of the refinery capacity coming on stream over the next few years will be either in the Middle East and Asia. A lot of that will then be distributed regionally but uh, a lot will also flow on longer routes uh, to, to Europe and uh, to the US. And, uh, and those trades will be uh, going mostly, uh, not only to the LRs, but uh, mostly, I would say, to the LRs. And therefore, we, on the, the last new building program, we, we ordered 22 vessels uh, since 2012. Six of these were LR1s. And so and we are very happy that we, we ordered these vessels, uh, which we actually, some of them, we recently fixed at uh, very profitable rates for us. So it's, uh, we, we believe in this. Uh, in, the, in this evolution of the market. Although sure. we still like the MRs very much. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Torm has a very diverse fleet, um, growing fleet, two LR1 new buildings on order, four MR new buildings on order, four secondhand vessels coming. So any additional renewal plans thereafter, or are you pretty happy with your pro forma fleet mix? We're pretty happy right now. We, we will grow our fleet to around 80 vessels come uh, January. And that will be the highest number of owned vessels in the history of Torm. And given that that's 130 years, we're pretty content with that for now. Let's see if there's opportunities uh, that we can't resist. We can, of course, uh, build on that, but there's no immediate plans. Okay. David, Scorpio, it's grown its fleet pretty exponentially, LR2s, LR1s, MRs. Um, so which asset class is Scorpio kind of most excited about in the next 15 months? Gosh, that's quite a hard question in that I, I suppose we'd, we'd certainly expect a high degree of correlation ultimately, but as you said, you do get those moments when the LRs move out above the MRs. I think the main thing for us, you know, we, we have a pretty homogenous fleet. We've got a very modern fleet. Um, we're just around four years of fleet life, uh, fully on the water. So I think uh, from our perspective, you know, anything that's modern is, is interesting, anything that's scrubber equipped, which I'm sure is something you'll come on to. 
Um, uh, and as I said, I think we, we look, if, if we found things that make sense, we'd always analyze them for the benefit of our shareholders. Um, but yeah, modern, uh, well-built, uh, MR, LR2, scrubber equipped, those are always interesting to us at the right price for our shareholders. I don't want to leave, let you off that easy. If you had to pick one asset class, <laughs> LR2 or MR? Uh, I think we're probably most excited on the LR2s, but mainly because we think, uh, you know, as Carlos mentioned, we think that's right in front of the uh, secular changes that are going on in the industry. Uh, we've seen, uh, and we have in front of us now, finally, a, a very high degree of visibility on the new refineries coming on in the Middle East. And I think for us, in terms of paybacks, we see some pretty interesting opportunities in that area. Okay, thank you. All right, so looking at the global products tanker fleet, you know, you had record scrapping in 2018. Um, a lot of that has come off pretty dramatically in 2019. Not many vessels scrapped. So over to Cam. What has kind of caused this, and what is your view for tanker scrapping in 2020? You know, you'll have probably higher rates, but you also have, you know, maybe some accelerated scrapping with IMO and other things. Yeah, and the reason for the for the for the record in scrapping in 2018, I think, is pretty obvious. There was low markets. So I mean, they go hand in hand. So so that's that's pretty obvious. Then 2019 had been better than 18, but not not tremendously better. But whatever was supposed to be scrapped out was scrapped out in 2018, and now we had. And at that time, we had two years to the recovery, and now we have you know the recovery just around the corner. I don't think we'll see any scrapping, not in any big uh, ways, anyways. Um, not in 2020 either. I think market predicts or market condition predicts how much will be scrapped and not scrapped. Not so much about the ballast water treatment system and, and the IMO after all. I don't think so. I don't believe that because that's, well, you, you can dream about it, but I don't think uh, people will scrap because of that if the market is good. Sure. If you're earning 30000 a day on MR, yeah. you're not going to scrap. Um, all right, on the ordering side, new bidding orders have fallen in, in recent years, especially year to date, resulting in an order book to fleet ratio of only maybe 8% on refined products. So that's a 15 to 20 year low. So what, if anything, um, is going to keep this from going back up to 15, 20, 25%? Um, is it a lack of shipyard capacity, reduced access to capital, um, uncertainty around the global economy, further IMO or environmental regulations? Uh, so Jacob, what are your thoughts on this? I think short to medium term, actually, all of the above. So uh, if you look at it, there is about 40% of the shipyard capacity in South Korea that were predominantly looking to build product tankers that are now out of business. You can, of course, say that over time they could recover, they could come back, but I think in a three to five year horizon, that's very unlikely, so you've got that. I think capital, uh, streaming uh, uh, like, a, like an ebb into uh, shipping and just building new vessels uh, certainly is also unlikely, given that the last decade has not really provided investors with, uh, uh, with the highest degree of profitability. I think people will be more careful in, uh, in this round. So I'm pretty optimistic that when we get a recovery in the marketplace, it will not lead to uh, a surge in the, uh, in the demand for new builds, and therefore in the, in the growth in the fleet. So I think we have the combined uh, product tanker market, but also everybody here on the panel, we have uh, actually a period of time here that could uh, look uh, stronger for longer. 
Okay. Randy, could I just add, I mean, just on your question before on the scrappage and, and, and reference to Jacob's comment, I mean, I think one of the big points that is sometimes missed in product tankers is that 15-year age barrier. And if you look at what happens when ships go through that age barrier, they tend to drop off the prime routes and the prime competition that we deal with, with at least with the younger fleet, to the main refiners and traders. And that's a fairly dynamic uh, equation. You can't really hide from that. If you look at the next three years, you're going to see 230 MRs. That's MRs only going through that 15-year age barrier. All of those have to be equipped with ballast water treatment systems. All of them will drop into different trades. So there is a case to be made without making heroic assumptions on scrappage or on the order book that you could actually see the, the fleet shrink right into the face of one of the biggest secular changes that this industry has faced in, in most people's careers. Now, I don't think you need to get there yet in terms of where share prices are and in terms of where our internal projections are. But there's certainly a case you could make uh, staring at the bottom of a beer glass for a extremely dramatic uh, move between a fleet shrinking in terms of an addressable fleet into a, a very strong and one-time jump in the size of the market. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. Uh, I agree with, with all the comments made that uh, an additional barrier is not only the equity capital, but it's also the bank uh, financing, which uh, the, the landscape uh, the, is changing and uh, there's more capital available in Asia, uh, but it's not available to, to, to everyone. Um, you have the big Chinese leasing houses, you have the Japanese leasing houses and the Japanese banks, which are still very active. But the European banks, uh, which have traditionally financed uh, shipping, they, they are, to a large extent, reducing their exposure uh, and being much more selective. And, uh, and that will reduce the ability of speculative capital to move into the sector. Or if they move into the sector, they, they will need to put more equity, and therefore it means they will be able to order less vessels, and that they will... Uh, and have to buy them at uh, lower prices to, to obtain the same returns on equity. So it's, uh, uh, that is also potentially a constraint. And uh, on, the, on the yard side, we, we, we have seen uh, reductions, important reductions in production capacities in the, in the big Korean yards, which fo focus on product tankers. Uh, Hyundai Mipo, whilst they, used, they, 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 they had targets of producing 80, 90 vessels per annum, now they content themselves with producing 50. So, and, uh, so you, you have seen across the, across the board in the major Korean yards cuts of uh, 20 to 40% in production capacity. Okay. Uh, so yeah, everyone obviously talking about IMO 2020, so didn't want y'all to feel left out. Uh, so a few questions regarding that. First, uh, I guess we'll start with David. What are your thoughts, kind of generally speaking, just on the IMO regulations? Um, love it, hate it, apathetic, overblown? Will it really be as big of a deal as some people think it will? Uh, so um, let me answer that, uh, I suppose, the only way I can, which is that it, it doesn't actually really matter what I think. Um, my job really is to try and get the company positioned optimally commercially for the reality that's coming down the track. Uh, I briefly got asked for my opinion. Um, I occasionally get asked for my opinion, but it's not normally something which necessarily sways the broader room. So. I think we have some sympathy, objectively, with the fact that we're putting 40-ton bits of metal on the back of our ship, which are effectively mini-refineries. You know, they weren't really built for that. But if that's what we need to do to sustain our competitive advantage or to improve and enhance it, then that's what we will do. Um, we have a degree of confidence in the technology we're using. We've, we've got probably, as, as you mentioned, Randy, one of the biggest retrofit programs. We'll have uh, close on 82 ships fitted by the end of the year. 
Um, I think we're, I think we're probably putting our money where our mouth is in that respect. Um, but on whether it's a good or a bad regulation, I, I'd probably take the fifth on that. Maybe. All right. I guess we're following up on that. So obviously, Scorpio putting scrubbers basically on its entire fleet. Is that for even for the MRs, the smallest ones? Is that mostly an economic decision to capture the spread, or an operational decision to allow you to continue to burn HSFO that you know works well on your ship? Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of both. I think the one thing I would say is we, we do, we, we've modeled it pretty carefully. We do see a return on capital that, that, that we like, on, even on the MRs. Our MRs tend to be pretty long distance, tend to be uh, North Atlantic triangulation uh, with, with, with minimal port days. Um, and, and also bear in mind, we've got very young ships, you know, so when we're amortizing or depreciating the life of the, scr the scrubber over the life of the ship, the numbers look relatively attractive. So, yeah, it's probably the area as a, as a group internally that we did most work on before, before making the decision. But you're right to point out, Randy, that there's, there's, a, there's a compelling financial logic, but there's also an operational advantage from it as well. Sure. All right, over to Carlos. Any ideas on what VLSFO products are currently hitting the, the market and where they're being refined or blended? or being brought to the end user? And then will crew tankers or, or products tankers transport most of that VLSFO? There's kind of an, an yeah, argument no, there. We, we, uh, where, where it's being refined, well, uh, yeah, the, the, there are some, uh, it will have to be distributed, definitely. I mean, it will have to be distributed uh, and potentially the, the, the need for distribution is going to be bigger than for the high sulfur fuel oil. Uh, the, the investments which refineries had to make to, 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 to install the secondary units to produce the, uh, the low sulfur fuel oil are very significant, so uh, not many did so. Uh, we might also see high sulfur fuel oil being transported for, for pro further processing at refineries which have installed these units, so that would be extremely good. We would, we would have uh, products transported twice. Uh, and um, yeah, and uh, I think we, I think that the 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 sulfur fuel oil will initially uh, be transported on uh, as a clean product, or uh, although it's not a clean product, but on, on previously clean product tankers to uh, reduce the risk of contamination. So I think that's uh, talking also to to big uh, oil traders. That is also their position uh, and their view. Uh, they think that mo most operators will be prudent in the, in the beginning, uh, and then as the market develops, uh, this could change. But uh, in the beginning, we, we see it transported on, uh, on, okay. on clean tankers. All right, Kim, uh, how will IMO 2020 benefit the refined products tanker market on a supply side? Will you see maybe a further slowdown in vessel speeds, um, some accelerated scrapping at some point? I know you don't think it will be next year. Um, or maybe some increased ordering just to replace these kind of less fuel-efficient vessels? I don't know. <coughs> I really don't know. It, it, it's some, yeah. You're up here for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> but I think. All right, that's great. Sure. I mean, uh, Speed could have something to do with it, no doubt about that. Everything is about market, of course, and 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 these various trade flows they will they will they will increase. And as Carlos is saying, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of uh, low sulfur going uh, from from the east to the west, and, and high sulfur from the, the other way around. And I think it's going to be shipped in VPP tankers, predominantly, but since it is even if it's a very low sulfur, it's still a dirty product. So, so which, which you know, we, we have, of course, both segments uh, in for that. So, speed, I'm not sure. Uh, scrapping, I'm not sure about that either. I think uh, speed is, is, is uh, again, something about the market. It's not about the bunker bill. 
but all in all, IMO 2020, this, this, this thing will create disruption in a number of areas that we have all touched upon, and that is going to be good. But don't count on it for the next 10 years or five years. That's a six to 12 months kind of thing that, that will, after that, things will just you know, be, be back, back to normal again. Okay. Jacob, uh, Torm is installing scrubbers on half its fleet and is also a member of the Clean Shipping Alliance 2020. We've got a few questions on it, so I thought I'd give it to you. Um, what are the goals of that alliance and, and maybe some of the benefits of joining? I think one of the things that I've seen uh, over the past, let's say, 12 to 18 months is that everybody has had the right to have an opinion around scrubbers and around whether you should scrub or not. And uh, basically, the uh, Clean Shipping Alliance 2020 is an attempt, together with like-minded people, to say, let's, let's not have this debate where somebody on one side is saying one thing and another argument in the other side of the room. Let's try and establish the facts around this. And that's really the ambition, is to have a dialogue around scrubbers, whether we like scrubbers or not, uh, that you have an educated opinion rather than just uh, shouting out um, uh, something. So basically it is about establishing facts in order uh, also for the not only shipping but also the external world to understand what it is that is taking place. That's the ambition. Seems very diplomatic. Thanks. Uh, Alright, so recently there's been plenty of discussion in the shipping market uh, regarding consolidation. You know, we've seen some big deals made in recent years but what is the outlook and potential uh, for consolidation in the refined products thinker market? You know, it's one of the most fragmented markets in shipping, or uh, maybe in any industry, right, in the world. So anyone up here maybe for buying or selling your fleet um, or, or buying up here, let's make a deal. Anyone for sale? <laughs> Thoughts on further consolidation? I'm sure everyone will say, yes, it's needed, but what is your outlook for consolidation in the sector? David, you have a lot to say. Oh, right. Kim, you always <laughs> have a lot to say. <laughs> Um, I suppose, look, I, I have some sympathy with the observation. I think that one of the things that you know, we have faced as, as a company is becoming, frankly, relevant on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, I think that's an issue common to shipping. And the New York Stock Exchange or US capital markets have been a source of, of capital for the industry for, for a long time and an important one. And I think it is, uh, and this isn't a Scorpio Tankers observation, it's a broader observation that you know, small companies, you know, sub $2 billion of market cap really struggle to get any kind of attention. And, and that's before you see the kind of changes we've seen just over the last six months in, in your industry, Randy, and, and some of the changes going on there. So one of the pieces of work we've done is really try and make sure that you know US institutional money regards our company as significant enough to invest in, to grow a position in, to hold, and also importantly, because uh, we can't determine that, you know, to be able to sell as and when they want. So my only hope among, alongside consolidation would be that, you know, as a company that's sort of trading 20 million bucks a day in, at the moment, and therefore we think we've done a lot of the heavy lifting on that target, we, we'd love some other people to come join us. Because <laughs> on occasion it can be a little bit lonely and uh, it would be nice to have, for the whole industry, I think for everyone in this room, to have uh, investable uh, large cap shipping companies that, that institutions, global institutions can properly and durably invest in. Here. Just an add-on. Um, it's a very fragmented uh, segment, as you say, and it has always been, and I think it's going to continue to be. 
We need consolidation. Yeah. We see consolidation, fine. But we also see new players, you know, uh, popping up every now and then. So it's going to be continue to be fragmented, I think. Sure. All right, we have two minutes and 15 seconds, so I want each of you to answer this question. Um, we'll start, Kim, and just work our way down. If an investor gave your company $50 million in cash, what do you do with it? Do you pay down debt? Uh, do you buy secondhand assets? Do you install scrubbers? Do you repurchase shares? Combination of them. So starting with Kim, working our way down. Pretty succinct answers uh, mm -hmm. is all we need. If, if I say combination of it, it would be boring, wouldn't it? I mean, so, pick uh, one. Yeah, pick one. There no, you I'm going to pick one. I'm going I'm to buy second-hand tankers. I think it's an opportunity. It's a fantastic opportunity now to, to buy second-hand tankers. Specifically MRs? Yeah, because. Not specifically because they are better than anyone else, but specifically they are within our fleet, our fleet and, and, and our capacity in, 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 in training them. So, so that's what I would do. And, and I would definitely not go... Uh, New build, uh, I think new build should never ever go over 10% uh, order book over the uh, existing fleet. Uh, when you say historically low, it is correct, but it should never have been in the 20, 25, 30% range. So that should be uh, stuck at, at, 20, at 10%. So I should buy a second of vessels. So if you see anyone, give me a call. Excellent, all right, we'll make that happen. Carlos. Uh, we, in our case, we would be buying our shares. I think that's uh, that's an easy one for us because we, we are trading at a big discount to NAV. We are trading at 50% discount to NAV. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a big opportunity there. And we are looking forward to the you know the moment where we are going to be able to, to, to start buying back our shares. And uh, if we had some, uh, some, some cash spare, uh, if we can obtain very good uh, financing terms, we could be exercising some of the options on the sale specs we, we did in, uh, over the last few years. We did nine of these, mostly at very attractive terms. So we are not uh, in any hurry uh, whatsoever uh, to go and buy back these vessels. But uh, uh, potentially, uh, if there is an opportunity and, uh, and the conditions, the financing conditions are even more attractive, we will, we will do so. Okay. Jacob, what should you do with the cash? Uh, we are in a fortunate situation. We have plenty of cash. We'll probably stack them into the same box and uh, wait a little. We've done. We've been very active. We have a huge capex uh, program, as you pointed to, both in terms of new builds, secondary vessel coming to our fleet, the scrubber program. So I think for now I would be a little patient and then wait. Okay. David, finish this off. Uh, I, I was about to go all of the above, but uh, I think Kim ruined that for me. Um, I think on that basis, um, you know, I probably echo what Kim says. I, I don't think there's any reason to, to order new, but I think you can buy prompt delivery uh, resales or modern tonnage at current prices, given what we see over the next couple of years. I think it's probably what you do. I think we'd probably love to bring our leverage down a bit um, uh, over time. That'll probably happen maybe even quicker than we wanted to, but uh, and organically, um, we would hope. Um, but I think probably uh, I'd echo Kim's commentary in terms of where we think the market's going. Sure. All right, well, well, there you have it. So unlike the false alarm we saw in this building an hour ago, uh, this, this sector certainly is about to catch fire, so get ready. Uh.